The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. On the programme this evening, we talked to an IFAC representative about the state of economic health, financial health of the agribusiness sector. Elsewhere, there's an open day at Kildalton College happening on Friday week. We have a representative in studio to tell us all about what you can expect if you visit that open day. Elsewhere, we'll have Eric from Tullow with the Sheep Report and all going well. George will be along to give us an update on livestock prices and anything else that's happening around uh, agriculture in these parts. First of all, however, I'm delighted to welcome into studio Paul O'Brien, uh, the IFA's National Environment Chair. I think that's your correct title, give or take a few other additional responsibilities. So you're very welcome, Paul. I should ask you, first of all, Greg Namana, you're farming down there. Um, we've had a lot of rain over the past few days. How are things uh, down Greg Namana way? Very soggy. And look, thanks for the invitation to come in, Matt. Um, the last couple of days, particularly yesterday, but a lot of rain fell as well between Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon on top of the rain that we had on Tuesday of last week, the day of the plough match, the Friday before that. So most certainly a lot of rain has fallen over the last couple of weeks, unfortunately, at a time of the year when there's still corn to be cut. There's still jobs to be done. I hope this doesn't shorten or, or extend the winter on animals having to go in early. I think this is enormous problems with weather at the moment. Yes, the, commu- the cumulative effect of this mm. of this rain, I think, that's impacting most. And, and dry land is bad enough, but anyone on the heavier soils uh, under severe pressure, and if it turns out to be an early winter uh, that they have to house even with lots of grass out there, you c- could be looking at silage shortages in places? I think there's a combination of factors and um, I suppose one of my roles, because it is a national role in IFA, I've been receiving calls from the north and the northwest and even the midlands to say, you know, can we look for an extension for slowly spreading? Now, slowly spreading was extended until the 8th of October. The minister has the ability to look for a further extension. He doesn't have to go to Europe on this. This is actually, they can decide this within the country, that they don't actually need to go to Brussels. And maybe that needs to be considered as well. But look, everything is weather dependent. If we continue this poor weather cycle, it will be a challenge for the minister to actually, you know, allow that to happen. But look, we're going to be pushing for slowly to be used until the very last minute. And look, cattle going in on top of half-filled tanks is going to create a problem at the back end even as well, Matt. So, you know, it, we, we just need to be careful, but we just need to maybe take one day or one week at a time and just try to plan out the year better. Yeah, it just shows the impracticality of calendar date farming, uh, especially in a country like Ireland where grass can go, well, it can grow right through the year, but it yeah. can certainly grow actively right into November. And if you have drier ground to spread slurry on it, uh, that'll be actively taken off by the roots of grasses, you're better off to wait but listen if if, if yep. the rule is there you have to go well the rule is there but you know unfortunately you know when we have to play by the rule book but the rule book would, is not taken into account there is changes in weather patterns there's no doubt about no doubt about that you could have a particularly good month in november you could have a particularly good end of october and the rules are the rules so there has to be a certain amount of common sense approach if there's good weather trafficability if the weathers are good, grass is growing, 
we need to be able to consider this going forward, Matt. You know, practicality. Now, common sense in, and we've debated the, the whole nitrates thing over the past couple of weeks, mm. common sense in, in relation to nitrates, especially an inability to look around corners and see about the unintended consequences of actions, that doesn't seem to have been brought to bear in, 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 the, in, the, in the whole nitrates area. I think, look, you have to look at everything like a bit, the, the big plan. The big glorious plan is obviously things such as the Climate Action Plan. Driving in, I was listening to lots of um, talk on the, on the station about young people engaging in the Climate Action Plan. But when you look at it, there's going to be multiple answers as us, our farmers. But if you take, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, Matt. If you take out one or two of those diff- individual pieces, you will never get a complete picture again. The challenge on nitrates is going to have many, many effects. So, therefore, dairy farmers who are stocked over 220 and, and are now come, coming under pressure, they've got very limited options. One of the options is probably to look for more additional land. So you're competing against the tillage sector. You're competing against the dry stock sector. So all of that means that as a tillage farmer, you most of the tillage sown in this country is sown on some form of a con acre or long-term lease. If that is now challenged, it's going to threaten the viability of the tillage sector as well. In the Climate Action Plan, there's a request from the government for an extra 50,000 hectares to come out of grasslands to go into tillage. Now, I wouldn't like to be trying to sell that this year after a particularly troublesome harvest and a particularly prolonged harvest. But that is the plan. And this is the worry that I have with the kind of the changes to the nitrates. You can't shift one thing and expect something else to be created. So the bigger picture stuff here is is that nitrates and its knock-on effect is going to have a considerable effect on other aspects of the Climate Action Plan and other parts of the industry. Your organisation has been leading the charge in terms of um, nitrates, particularly, I, I, I would suggest, in relation to the sudden drop from 250 to 220, but also that allowance is needed um, for a gradual imposition if it comes to that. Is that a correct in- interpretation? Well, look, for years we've been told by Chuggers and the scientists that farming between 170 and 250 was was was, was safe. There is no correlation between reduction in stock numbers and water quality we've asked farmers over the last number of years as as with the nitrates to to accept many many individual measures up to 30 measures on some farms change of practices fine-tune and change stuff and as a result of that Matt, we don't really know what the silver bullet solution is to this unfortunately where we are now is is that taking into account the two-year period to try to see where this trend was going, it was probably never going to be able to show an improvement in that two-year. I would argue that the, the department accepting the derogation under the terms that they did from Brussels was fundamentally wrong. It was setting us up from a, for a fall at the very, very start. But I think the reality is, is that it's going to be very difficult now for farmers who are farming between over 220. What are they going to do? So there is talk about fine-tuning maps and there's talk about maybe changing, I suppose, some levels of, um, and some levels of, you know, maybe the calf might have a lower value of their nitrates for the first couple of months. So a lot of fine-tuning could be done. But the reality is, is that once it's been accepted by Ireland Incorporated, that farming from 170 to 250 is now challenged then the free-for-all 
and the worry that I would have there is that this could be chipped away at. And that is something that we could see absolute carnage coming down the road. If the next round of derogation, they're saying, we need to move from 220 down to 200 or 190. And I don't like talking sort of um, the derogation down or away. But once it's been affected in such a way, we have to be concerned about the future. I would have thought, Paul, that farming, Irish farming, European farming, pro rat, I presume, is one of the most regulated sectors of economic activity uh, in, in the entire European Union. I saw a list produced by the Farmers Journal at the at the ploughing and the number of closing dates and uh, fertiliser inventories and skip schemes and so on between now and December alone. And that's before you get any day work done, yeah. physical farm work done. It's absolutely incredible how farmers can manage it all. It's worrying. Um, we're most certainly in a period of time when there's an absolute avalanche of more rules, red tape, bureaucracy coming down on farmers. And you can understand the concerns that we now have. I saw a board in the plan match like you did yourself, Matt, in the Farmers Journal stand where they gave you a list of all of the terms, you know, all of the different dates. You would nearly want a reminder on your phone to tick, tip you off. And I think that's the problem that we've got. You know, there needs to be considerably better communication between the Department of Ag to telling farmers because a lot of that has now been left to the Chogasses or the ACA, the, the private consultants, consultants to inform farmers. And it's an unnecessary burden on them as well. The regulatory process would suggest that, you know, the governing body, which is the Department of Agriculture, should be informing farmers on a much better way than they are but unfortunately, it's not really happening. Many farmers are falling through the net, unfortunately, because they're unaware of some of these dates, and, and that's a problem. We were told under the new cap that there would be less red tape. I see nothing, only masses and masses and reels of new red tape. I think today it, it, it's, we've, we've had this ongoing issue over the last couple of weeks about kind of forage crops and grazing forage crops. The day the BIS applications actually closed... The, the rules and regulations were published. And as a result of that, you know, okay, we are in a brand new cap year. This is the first year of the BIS. But the reality is, is that there's so much there that farmers are, are kind of confused about and don't understand. A lot of the workshops that were carried out at the start of the year, a lot of mixed messages were coming from them as well because the civil servants, to be fair to them, were learning on the job as well. So it's, it's just, look, practical practicality that's what we really do need Matt you know a common sense approach to some of the rules that have been implemented fundamentally I think that some of them some of them are flawed and we have to work with them to make sure that there's a common sense outcome to some of these issues there's a, there's a double cost if I could put it that way there's the time cost mm. to try and tick off all those uh, regulations and, 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 and manage them and adhere to them and there's also the compliance cost, the actual mm. financial cost of all of this. It's been a while since farmers were paid for their time, Matt, and I don't think ever in, in the history of farming we've been paid for our time. But, OK, look, we, we also have to balance this out and say in we have, to, we have to follow these rules and regulations to the best of our ability. But unfortunately, mistakes are happening, but the mistakes need a common-sense approach. Now, I'm dealing with farmers with, with issues where a simple form wasn't filled in properly. And there's big problems now with their BIS applications or their derogation applications. And you, what you would be asking for is somebody, 
to step away from the computer because the computer is its own problem. The computer is very much a yes or no issue. Step away and just say, look, human touch on this common sense touch is what we really need. I got a I got a an email or a text from John Crowley, you know John down in South Kilkenny uh, there well. last week, and it was just a list of the water groundwater status right across Europe, not only the European Union but right across Europe, and we're third best. Uh, one hesitates to suggest. Yeah. fourth or fifth whatever yeah. it is but we're certainly well up there in terms of water quality and there's no denying we need to continue to improve water quality do you believe that the actions that we have taken and are taking will deliver water quality improvements absolutely there is a lag effect the 30 measures that derogation farmers or farmers farming over 170 exporting slowly out the work that they've actually physically done on their land at great expense to them Matt it will take time for that to be proven that you know water quality is improving but we're definitely i believe on the right trend as i said if we knew the individual kind of silver bullet the one thing that was able to prove things categorically it would have been done a long time ago so it's the ever evolving science that is catchment catchment science and hydromorphology but yes i definitely believe that the measures in place will give a long-term improvement in water quality. If I didn't matter, I wouldn't be defending it. But most certainly, I honestly believe the ability for farmers to adapt is now being tested because a lot of work has been done by farmers to try to improve water quality. They understand now better than ever before what the measures that they're doing and the reason why. But we could start tipping a balance here where farmers might start saying, I'm fed up with all of these rules and regulations. I've done so much over the last number of years. And as a result of that, I'm still being threatened with a cut to my derogation. I'm still being threatened with a reduction in my stock numbers that's going to put pressure on my farm income as a result. So I I, I think we've, we, I, I wouldn't like it to get to a stage where farmers decide to kind of walk away from that process but I honestly believe Matt that you know we just need to mind this now and look after it because ultimately I feel about the f you know farmers engagement in this going forward I, c I could see how, how farmers could get disillusioned uh, mm. the, the, uh, there was a, a development this week which I think is quite alarming we knew there was a new farmers party emerging in the Netherlands. I'd never heard of a party from animals, but they forced through or encouraged people in the parliament to vote for a ban on calf imports. Now, we sell over 100,000 calves every year to uh, the Netherlands. If this were to be brought to its conclusion, in other words, a ban, a, a total ban, huge implications. Yeah. We live in an island in a common trading area. So, therefore, we now have a problem. If these 100,000 animals that would normally travel from islands to the continent for fattening and for veal production, if they have to be retained in Ireland, now we're looking at another problem. Where do those 100,000 animals go and where do they stay? A quick sort of on the back of an envelope exercise today said that we would need an additional two and a half the, the, the figure of 100,000 times 24, which is the calculation for their organic nitrogen every year, would mean that we'd need an additional 14,000 hectares in order to retain them. And these are on farms that are already highly stocked, Matt. So we have a problem there. 
but we live on an island. We're meant to be the one trading block that we can freely trade. So we, that's, you know, how this is going to be sorted out, I do not know. But we do have a problem looming for the springtime. And add in a potential uh, ban or restriction if they're not IBR tested. And that's a whole new that's other issue that we're not going yeah. into today. Yeah. Paul, before we, we conclude, uh, how many years have you been environment chairman I'm, for AFA? Good question, Matt. I took over in January 2020 when we, there was no COVID, there was no war in the Ukraine. Things started to, we thought was going to be in a normal run of things, a normal four years. Four years have been very challenging. There's been many, many green deals and farm to forks and even a program for government met with many, many challenges. So I actually finished my term as National Environmental Chairman in December of this year. And I presume the organisation is hopeful that you won't be returning to farm exclusively farm in 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 great manner you're running for a regional chairman position i am indeed i've decided to throw my hat in the ring for the regional chair which is obviously francie who's our regional chair francie gorman's our regional chair at the moment he's now looking to become president but there is an opportunity there and i've been encouraged by a lot of people and uh, particularly here in carlo kilkenny to to throw my hat into the ring and so the start of the election process is actually next week four head-to-heads next week starting in Kildare and then on to Wexford and Carlo and then into Dublin and then at the end of the month there's another four Lee Shoffley um, the Kilkenny head-to-head and we finish in Wicklow so it's going to be a very busy campaign over the next couple of weeks Matt I'm I'm exhausted just listening to the timetable Paul um, always a pleasure to have you in don't be a stranger and the best of luck with your election absolutely thank you thank you Matt the Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Yes, indeed, that was Paul O'Brien, current environment uh, chairman for AFA and uh, a candidate for regional chairman of the organisation. So the best of luck to him with that. Uh, I'm joined in studio now by Declan Byrne of uh, Kildalton Agricultural College. Uh, uh, Declan, I better ask you your role, first of all. Matt, uh, thanks very much for having me on the show. So, um, currently, Matt, I'm uh, teaching farm structures, uh, beef husbandry, ruminant nutrition, and a bit of farm finance in Kildalton, and I'll be shortly taking over the role of uh, college placement officer. The perfect man then to talk about uh, what I invited you in here tonight to talk about, uh, and it, it just seems like a few months ago since, but it's it's obviously twelve months ago since we talked about uh, a careers open day in Kildalton College happening on next Friday week, the sixth, if I'm not badly mistaken. Um, what can people expect? Well, Matt, yeah, we will have hold our careers open day on Friday the 6th. And while everybody is welcome on the day, we are primarily uh, aiming the event at secondary school uh, students in senior cycle, um, transition year, fifth year and sixth year students. So we'll have, and of course, their teachers and, and parents. Um, we'll have a full range of course options available to students. Staff will be on hand to explain uh, options for certificate certificate in agriculture level 5, uh, advanced certificate in dairy, uh, dry stock and crops and machinery management. Um, also our horticultural team will be on hand to explain options for uh, certificate in horticulture level 5 and 6 and our equine um, 
team will also be there to explain equitation and stud management courses. Uh, we will also have on hand uh, our colleagues from SETU Waterford who we work closely with each year and they will explain a full range of uh, agricultural courses from SETU Waterford and they'll also explain linkages and how students can transition from level 6 uh, courses in Kildalton right through to um, Level 7 Agriculture and Level 8 Land Management uh, courses in Watford. Uh, our new apprenticeship programme will be uh, explained by our National Apprenticeship Coordinator, Marcella Phelan. And um, finally, uh, access support will be is available to students with specific learning difficulties and um, our team will also explain uh, options for access support on the day. Declan, I continuously am most impressed by this increasing and expanding and extending linkage between uh, Kildalton College as a, as a standalone agricultural and horticultural college and uh, access if people want to build on, uh, they can go directly into a career from what they, uh, from what they glean from, from Kildalton, but they can also extend their education, as you said, uh, through C2, the Southeast uh, University. And I hadn't been aware of linkages with UCD and, and, and uh, Trinity, I think. Yes, um, it's actually a linkage. We have a linkage with UCD through... Um, we actually prepare UCD uh, second-year agricultural students for placement in July and August. So we take in those students uh, every year in July and they do a three-week residential course with us there. And also we have a linkage with, it's actually Technical University of Dublin. I got my T's mixed up, uh, you yes. You did. Um, <laughs> and we deliver uh, milk and machine operation, uh, operation courses uh, with those. But our primary link is with SETU Waterford. And our student, a student who completes um, CA Level 5 and continues on and, and, and achieves his Level 6 or her Level 6 uh, Green Cert, can en- enter SETU U Watford agriculture course at year two. So they will progress on to agriculture year two. They'll get their ordinary degree in agriculture in year three, level seven. And if they wish, then they can continue on and do a bachelor's degree in land management level eight. And I actually pursued that route myself a few years ago after leaving education until I was 37 or eight. And uh, I'd strongly recommend that route to students. Um, well, that's a hell of an endorsement. <laughs> yes, it's, it's it stood me in good stead so Abs- far. Absolutely. I, I am delighted. In a previous life, I had an association with the Farm Apprenticeship Board. Lots of interest by young people way back 25 years ago meant it, it, its demise. I'm delighted to see its re-establishment under another format, obviously. But it is it, it is a great model for people to get hands-on uh, training in, in farm management and, and so on. It is, Matt. And as we just said a minute ago, the option is there for students to move from level six to level seven in SETU. But many students actually prefer, prefer the practical end of learning and the practical end of our course. And the level seven apprenticeship um, program for farm managers uh, probably would be the ideal fit for those students. And we are currently uh, enlisting farmers for the program. So farm and um, the programme will will commence shortly. It was announced uh, or launched by the Minister for Higher Education on the 7th of August. And And I I presume there's a rigorous and and detailed 
um, inspection, if I could put it that way, of potential host farmers, because that's usually important that it's a positive experience. There is, and um, Solus are, are involved in that, in that at the moment, as well as our national uh, placement coordinator, Mar- Marcella Phelan, and uh, farmers will be uh, rigorously um, checked, of course, before before the commencement of the placement. But the placement is it's a two-year course for both farm technician level six and farm management level seven, and. Uh, over the course of that, uh, over over the duration of the course, twenty percent of the course will be um, actually uh, on-site learning or online learning. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a hell of a good mix. And uh, a hell of a if good, any student hell of a or, or if any prospective student needs uh, um, more information on that, they'll get it on uh, www.apprenticeships.ie. Now, an area that's not your direct remit, but we'll, 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 we can't pass through Kildalton, if you like, without mentioning it. Um, it's in the pot, together with the SETU, for a new veterinary college. I see speculation on the paper and quotations from the Minister for Higher Education, um, Minister Harris, about it, uh, and, and suggesting that there may be a number of them established. Uh, it would be a perfect fit. It would. Um, the Commission looking at the proposal for a second veterinary college in Ireland has recommended um, SETU Watford as a possible option for the college along with two or three more. Um, currently in Kildalton we are keen to, to be part of that and um, possibly the large animal programme within the, the veterinary college in SETU Waterford, if it was to come to pass, might be based in Kildalton. And we're excited about the prospect and hopeful as well, but we're awaiting final confirmation for them from the Minister. So um, that's where that's at at the moment, Matt. Declan, I don't want to leave out any of the numerous aspects of, of the Kildalton experience, I'll call it that, because as well as the, the agricultural college, we referenced the horticultural sector and the equine sector. So there's almost something for everyone that has an interest in the broadest sense in agricultural education. There is, Matt, and and on the day day of the Careers Day next Friday, we will take uh, students on a full tour of our educational campus, which is, um, we've recently added uh, two new classrooms, two 60-seater classrooms and a new car park to to facilitate our expanding numbers. But um, we have a full range of options for all students, and we find lately that um, more and more students are coming to us that don't have direct access to land or not directly from a farm that might be uh, a generation or two away or they might have no access at all to, to land as such. But we are finding a lot of students now are embracing agriculture as a career and want to have outdoor practical experience rather than not everybody wants to sit in front of a computer or sit in front of an office desk. And um, also this year we've noted that uh, we had a large intake of uh, young girls this year to our CIA level 5 agriculture course we have 18 girls enrolled which we're delighted with and uh, it's maybe 10 years ago that might not be the case Yeah and we were only chatting to Anya O'Connell of the IFA last week about the supports and encouragements for for, uh, dairy women uh, specifically women involved in in the Irish dairy sector and I think that's all to the good and that news you have on uh, you know a a, a move up in terms of the numbers of of young women entering uh, Third level agri related education has to be has to be reassuring. Tell me, just off the, off 
off the side of it for a moment, Declan. I'm always impressed by the fact that Kildalton, whilst being a regional agricultural and horticultural centre, is also very much embedded in the community. I mean, right down to providing car parking for the for the Iverk show. Definitely, Matt. And I'm actually working in Kildalton 24 years. And I could safely say I know half a pill town just through working there every day. And um, Kildalton is embedded in the pill town community. And we actually, most, uh, an awful lot of pill town people walk through the college every day. You can actually walk from the street in pill town around in a loop and straight up the avenue. And to be running groups there in the night time. And uh, we've close linkages. The GA Club in pill town are very good to Kildalton College, they provide us with playing facilities for our students and uh, we work very closely with the Ivor show too and are proudly to have a, proud to have a stand there every year and um, yeah we have close linkages with the community which is only proper order too because they facilitate us, we bring huge numbers of students in, in along the roads of Pilltown every, every day and we appreciate their help too. Declan, just reiterate again the, 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 the time and the entire logistics around Friday week. Friday week, um, we'll welcome uh, visitors from to be assembling at 10am and we'll have a full tour of the farmyard, we'll have a full tour of the college facilities and um, we'll have... Uh, We'll give a flavour to the student uh, or the visitor what the student can expect when they're uh, at college in Kildalton. And I make a final point um, for large groups or, la- or school groups, we would ask that you might just pre-book uh, by ringing 051 Small groups or individuals don't need to pre-book. It'll just streamline the event a bit for us, Matt. Well, that makes an awful lot of sense so you can be fully organised. Declan, thank you very much for coming in this evening and the best of luck with your open day. Thanks for your time, Matt. Thank you very much. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com. IFAC launched its uh, food and agribusiness report last week and I got the opportunity at the ploughing to meet up with David Layden, the head of food and agribusiness with the organisation. David, it's a, it's, a, it's a comprehensive report. What, what's your survey breadth, what, your, your target audience? So this survey is very much focused on SME food and agribusinesses. So it's not the tier lawns of this world. It's the smaller business between, say, five, six hundred thousand euro turnover up to, say, 20 million turnover. So not the big major corporates, the SME sector, really, and they are the backbone of rural Ireland and employ an awful lot of people throughout the country. Now, some of the headline uh, survey results that I was looking at, let's start with one of the, the more abstract ones. The lack, the relative lack of adoption of AI, of artificial intelligence, which is really the, the new technology that's overtaking the world. It is. It 100% is the new technology that's taken over the world. And this is the first year we brought in that question. Really, last year, AI was a different job to all of us in the ag sector. This year, AI is now about artificial intelligence, as you you say, the large language models. I suppose the consumer-facing one that we mostly hear about is ChatGPT. And really, what we're saying in this report is, even though one in five are only using AI actively today, that needs to increase and business owners and their teams must embrace and lean into the opportunity that AI presents. And the, 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 the opportunity is really around, definitely around the marketing, customer service, translation, coding and development. It's, you know, people who haven't used it or haven't logged in onto ChatGPT, I think they'll be fascinated and frightened in equal measure with it. It's absolutely mind-blowing what it can do. 
and I think um, if people want to look at it like when Google came along and we could actually use Google for search this is the next big thing that will actually change all our lives in the face of what I would consider huge economic challenges, inflation, uh, rising costs right across the, 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 the whole scenario, most of the businesses you surveyed have shown remarkable resilience. 90% reckon they have held or increased turnover revenues in the year. They have, and that, that is positive now, but it's not a completely positive story because we know top line is only one part of the, of the, of the scenario. 75% of the business have reported an increase in costs. So really, you know, the turno- turnover had to man- be maintained or increased in light of multiple years of cost increases. Like last year, 84% of companies experienced a cost increase. This year, 75% experienced another cost increase in the cost of the raw materials, salaries. Um, so they, they need to keep increasing revenue if they're going to maintain their margin and stay relevant and um, stay, stay alive. In, in, in business. Now, in, in, in that line then, there's a difference obviously between turnover in revenue and margin. Even allowing for being able to pass on some cost increases to customers, the likelihood is that margins are tightening. Margins are very tight in food and agribusinesses and one of the sections we added this year was a section around corporate recovery and we were very much saying to business owners to be very aware of financial and non-financial red flags in the business. When we talk about financial red flags, we're talking about are sales up or down? Is margin decreasing? Is your level of debt increasing? Are payments from customers slowing down? Is the revenue demands that you can't meet? In terms of non-financial red flags, we're talking about are you losing some customers? Is there indecision at management level? Is there staff and management turnover? So these are some of the issues that people need to look like at in a period when costs are increasing, margins are very tight. You need to be just keeping your eye out on the red flags and make sure that you're tuned into changes that are happening. Now there's an interesting point that you surveyed at length. Staff recruitment and retention. Um, we're at the stage in the country where we have, well, depending on how you define it, we have full employment. In other words, anyone that wants to work can get a job. The reality for businesses is they're finding it very difficult to get and keep the right people. Uh, very, very much so. Um, full employment is a challenge. There is rising salary expectations. Some sectors have bigger margins and can actually afford to pay more than maybe the food and agribusiness sector can, can afford. There's a competitive job market. And these are roles from everything from within the factory floor through to accountants, marketing personnel, data scientists, you name it. There's a gap in the food and agribusiness sector for a lot of people. Um, it is a great um, sector to work in. You do have been very much international travel opportunities in the sector. But as a sector, we need to continue to focus on making the sector as attractive as possible to work in because there is a real staff shortage and other sectors are maybe a little bit better at promoting their sector as a place to work. David, if I could suggest that it's a mirror image of what's happening on very many farms that are trying to keep uh, uh, employees trained, good, motivated staff on farms. It is, and there's an awful sim- there is a massive similarity between farm owners and, we say, SME owners. Often it's, the, the business is based on one person's drive, innovation. Um, sometimes they're not the best people at developing and building teams. 
and I guess that is one area where we see a little bit more training could go into this idea of building a company culture and actually um, managing teams and making it an attractive place to work or making your business an attractive place to work. But that lack of people is, is massive for contractors, for farmers. Um, I think we, we, we do seem to have really big problems in store at farm level and contractor level over the next five years. Yeah, but there is a dynamism from what I can see in your survey amongst uh, the majority in most cases of, of, of food and agribusinesses. They are looking at new products and services in order to, to maintain momentum and they're looking uh, increasingly, a lot of them, towards the export opportunities. They are, they are very much so. And I guess let's, let's look at maybe the ag tech sector and we hear a lot about the ag tech sector. Um, some of the companies in the ag tech sector have very much built very good businesses on the back of the growth of the dairy sector. We've had, you know, a decade of massive dairy growth. If you look at the C CSO, um, the litres produced by dairy farmers from their cows has grown by 62% since 2013. And that has come to a shuddering halt. Nitrates, milk price, that rapid expansion is over. So any of those ag tech companies that were really selling into dairy farmers um, they need to just shift rapidly their attention to overseas markets. You know, Enterprise Ireland are here at the ploughing. They're very, very helpful in that space. But they have to get on the plane. They have to go to the trade fairs internationally. And they need to find dealers and distributors all over the world. In terms of this new, well, relatively new concept of ESG, this uh, environmental, social and governance, how many firms are actively adopting strategies in that regard? So ESG is a, is a, is a, is a big part of it. 87% of the companies that we surveyed um, are taking climate change action very seriously. They're investing in sustainable packaging, they're managing waste, they're investing in solar. And if we look at the larger companies are investing in cheap ESG officers, for example. The smaller companies can't really afford to invest in that type of a, of a person, but they, they are investing throughout their business in sustainability initiatives. But, and Noreen Lacey has a good article there around how the banks are viewing um, you know, lending decisions to companies now. They're putting an ESG lens on that lending decision. And basically business owners, it's another piece of work that business owners are going to have to do in the SME sector. They're going to have to do ESG reports, especially if they're looking to increase their borrowings from the pillar banks. This survey, could I suggest as a compliment, is a hell of a comprehensive effort. It's your sixth uh, such a survey. And uh, where can people access it? They can, well, thanks very much, for, for, firstly. Um, secondly, they can access it on ifact.ie. Um, it's there to download um, um, for free. And look, for any business owner that's out there, it is a useful tool. Um, in terms of even if it just strikes a chord and it gets a business owner thinking about maybe areas that they haven't been fully thinking about or it has been in the back of their head or on the long finger, you know, you need to keep taking action. It's a very competitive world and with the cost increases and the war in Ukraine and COVID and Brexit, you know, they're going through a pretty tumultuous time. So, look, at it. we want to support business owners as best as possible and hopefully this report adds to that. David, thank you very much. You're welcome. Straight over to Tullow for the Sheep Report with Eric Driver.
A very large sale today in Tullow here with over 2,000 sheep on offer and the trade holding steady to the to the demand. Uh, looking to the prices there then, those lambs over 48 kilos, they're selling in the region there today from 136 and 7 up to a top call there, 155 differential in price there, but also in the quality of the lambs being offered there and a very lively trade for them, well-fleshed lambs, scarce in number. But we would see the forward stores then, those 40, 42, 43 kilos, they're selling anything there from the 116, 17, 18 up to 124 and five, some more fleshier types breaking the 130 mark. While we would see the lighter store lambs, then the 30 kilos upwards, meeting a good honest farmer trade here. Them 30, 32 kilos selling anything there from the uh, late 80s into 91 or 2 there, possibly a little bit dearer than we'd seen for the last week or two uh, with those 35 to 37, 38 kilos, mid 90s up to 100 euros. Cash Joe trade, no great change here, selling from 150 to 170 kilo there for those store feeding type yos, heavy yos out to a top call of 220 euro and overall a good lively trade for all cash joe types. In the brood ring, Hoggett shows they're selling from 170 to 220 and a good lively trade again there. While we would see the age joe selling there from 130 to 150 and don't forget here we have our weekly cattle sale on Friday and weanling sale on Saturday and all I can say about the weanlings, if you have them, get them into the ring here in Tullow with the exporter demand and farmer trade here. They're meeting a fabulous price. Thank you. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. George has just hot-footed it over from the Mart where <laughs> one of the biggest sales of the year was in action today. Yes, indeed, uh, Matt. Fourteen hundred and thirty cattle on offer. A very large sale of cattle. Turnover one point five six seven million. Uh, and <laughs> when you compare it to bloodstock, Matt, there was a, I think, a yearling sold yesterday in Goffs at one point eight million. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, relative terms. Uh, quality lots. Uh, good solid trade. As for the both bullocks and heifers, you're talking about those quality lots selling from two eighty to three forty five per kilo. A reduction for some of the Frisians and a lot of cattle showing effects of the weather. As you're going to appreciate the weather in the last couple of days wasn't very conducive for a tribe and uh, also the cull cows were back a bit today I'd say 20 to 80 per head compared to last week so 600 kilo plus bullocks 185 to 317 per kilo 1400 euro to 2170 per head 5 to 600 kilo bullock from 180 to 320 per kilo or from 980 to 1760 per head with a 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 170 to 320 per kilo from 700 euro to 1530 per head under 400 kilo price range here 160 to 345 per kilo, 480 to 1350 per head. In the cow division, freezer cook cows from 80 cent, and that's the first time a euro kilo was um, uh, they went below euro kilo for some of our freezer cows, so it was 80 cent up to a top call of 2 euro per kilo, with the continentals from 140 to 245 per kilo. More steadiness about the continentals. Uh, beef efforts from 220 to 288 per kilo, that's 1400 euro to 1880 per head. Forward store heifers from 2 euro to 3 euro per kilo, that's 980 to 1520 per head, with the lighter type from 180 to 320 per kilo, or from 480 to 1040 per head. Now, in fairness, some people are saying the trade was back. It was back. It was back for the Plano cattle. And as I said my, uh, earlier, Matt, a lot of those cattle are showing the effects of the weather. And uh, I suppose if you're buying cattle now, you know, you're hardly going to put them out. You know, you probably want your, your, your shed's ready and maybe it's coming a little bit too soon for some people if it dried up a bit you might get a couple of weeks uh, but uh, it's not looking very very um, promising uh, regarding under four conditions no. My thanks to George and everyone else who contributed most especially Martin who produced and engineered For me Matt O'Keefe until next week farm well, farm safely, good night and goodbye
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.